and the Holy Spirit will be saved. That context applies three years ago, and certainly gave good reason for Thanksgiving. With our second point today, I need to draw a picture of what things were like 25 years later at the time when Paul wrote this letter. That picture will prompt surprise that Paul yet gives thanks. What the reason was, Paul, I mentioned earlier, had labored in Corinth for a year and a half and then had gone on to work elsewhere. After he left, other teachers had come to Corinth to build on the foundation that Paul had laid. 1 Corinthians 3.10 is an example. Apollos, which is used 15 in Acts and 10 verse 1. But despite the labor of Paul's successors, the congregation did not grow the way it should have grown. They remained immature, worldly was Paul's concern. Part of that worldliness includes the new Christians at Corinth. They're quite content to be divided among themselves, even at loggerheads with each other. If one party claims belongs to Paul, another to Peter, another to Cephas, another to Jesus Christ, and verse 11, they fix their eyes on people instead of God, who saved them. Other evidence of this worldliness lay in their practice of deceit, association, sexual immorality, immoral people, and there were plenty of such people in the multicultural Corinth. Their message was absolutely right or wrong. To delight in the cross of Christ with uh, its homosexual and transgender community, numerous of the Christians of Corinth had a problem with this message. That's why Paul had earlier written a letter to them to prevent them to say something about it. As we learn from 1 Corinthians 5 and 10, that the Corinthian congregation had not taken Paul's instruction to heart. In chapter 5, he lays that there is sexual immorality in the church at Corinth and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man had his father's wife in 5 and 10 and the worst was the attitude of the Corinthian Christians. They were proud of it. Verse 2, the thinking seemed to have been that the Christians of Corinth divided life into two parts, the physical and the spiritual. The body was physical. It was part of this world and of this world while the soul was spiritual. It was of that world and would live forever thanks be to the saving work of Jesus of Nazareth. Because they divided life into two parts, the Christians of Corinth felt free to indulge the body, for it's only the body and their soul that is good. And how to indulge the body? Satisfying the sexual urges of the person or the means of your choice was one way to indulge the body. And if you can't get what you want, you can take your brother to court for his money. That's only worldly anyway, if it just ends great. Joining in the feast of town and eating food sacrificed to idols, verse 1, was another way to do it. It's only food, and it's only for your body, and it was healthy anyway. Again, I read in chapter 11 of how the church in Corinth got together in church, and the plan was to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But first, the rich gathering gathered on one side of worship with access of temples and worldly stuff, while the poor gathered on the other side with their dry trappings and got to drool while they watched the rich pig out. And when they had put the tables together to eat, and then they took the tables together to celebrate together the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I could go on. But 
Ephesians 5.12, that Paul's beginning his missionary work with them. In 13, after he had been called to Parthian, the church of Corinth had become cruelly divided, cruelly worldly, and cruelly selfish. The communion of saints did not function as it ought. Immorality had the upper hand in the congregation. There was unfaithfulness to the spouse. In marriage, they accused prostitutes and their tongues loosened to build their own egos. There was heresy in the relation to the doctrine of Jesus resurrection and the believer's resurrection. Paul's earlier letter at 1 Corinthians 5.9 was pushed to one side in order to make more sense. Paul and the Ephesians sought to hear at the left 1 Corinthians 10 to 11. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that sometime Paul got a letter from the Corinthian Christians asking him to bring a number of questions. So what does Paul do? As an apostle of Christ Jesus, he doesn't resist discipline. He does what he can to help the church of Corinth and teaches to gain his help by means of a letter. That letter is the 1 Corinthians letter. It's a very clear letter. It's important for us in the Bible and Christianity today. Now, what does Paul write to the Corinthians in the midst of all that this mess of heresy and worldliness? Of all things, he says in Thanksgiving, our text, I always thank God for you. In fact, the way the Greek is put together makes, together makes plain that Paul's Thanksgiving was an ongoing Thanksgiving and not a Thanksgiving for the responsibility what God did five years ago. Right? Paul tells the Corinthians that he keeps on giving thanks, always thanks to God. As we recall the mess that the Corinthians characterized the church of Corinth, we can be surprised at this Thanksgiving. Ought the apostles not to lament how far the church of the Lord has fallen? Is it not wise and helpful to tell the, tell the divided and worldly Corinthians that he is thankful for them and daily thanks them? Or must we understand this expression of thankfulness simply as a political move to get the Corinthians back on his side? Is that a graft? No, brothers and sisters, there's no backstroking to push in the coming graft. The Holy Spirit, the one who moved Paul, writes what he wrote, and not a man that we would speak to that. When the Holy Spirit moves, Paul to express the ongoing gratitude for the Corinthians. Despite the worldliness, we need to take this Thanksgiving seriously and consider why this may be taking place. The thing is this, these Corinthians used to live in darkness, yet believe. Through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit worked faith in the hearts of these Corinthians. That faith started small, weak fact that these Corinthians hadn't grown as they had ought to does not nullify the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Though Paul seems sees only a small beginning of the obedience God requires of his regenerate people, through his letter Paul can point to so many faults in Corinth. There nevertheless is a small beginning and whose work is that small beginning? It is the Corinthians' own work. Is it the devil's work? Not at all. Through the beginning of the obedience, there ought to be very few 
few of you here, there are a few of you here today who feel very small, very small, that small beginning step to share God's work. That is why it is so fitting to say, John, not just when he first broke faith with his family, but also five years later, when there is so little evidence, or so little evidence for death, and so much obvious reason, whatever Christianity, it wasn't going to be God's work. And since there is God's work, Paul could be confident in relation to the future. The God who had worked a change in these churches would not desert his work without joining it to completion among them who had waited in patience. As Paul also says at the end of verse 9, God is faithful. And since he called, he will preserve despite all the weaknesses that remain. That brings us to our last point. Mandate Paul's thanksgiving. Paul's ongoing thanksgiving to God in the churches is rooted in his conviction that the Lord God was and continues to be at work among those faithful in Corinth. That God has not yet worked perfection in Corinth did not prevent Paul from giving thanks. He praised God for the fact that God worked there, gathering his church. Even if the obedience God required was still so small. We realize well that Paul's reaction to God's work in Corinth was correct. This same God is at work in every church. One cannot get around it. Whatever faith there is in our congregation, and there certainly is faith, is the work of God. Whatever renewal there is in the congregation that makes us act differently than the world acts, there certainly is that renewal. The work is of God. Then it's true. There is so much room for our faith to grow. And there's so much place for our renewal to grow also. We too have a small beginning of the obedience God requires. Like the Christians of Corinth long ago, we too are affected in our thinking by the multiculturalism of our society. We too act and speak from time to time as if there is no absolute right or wrong. We too are inclined to divide life into two parts, one physical and one spiritual, the body and the soul. There is undoubtedly so much we can learn from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. As in Corinth, the prosperity of our time does not automatically mean that we have become spiritual drifters too. Does any of that mean, though, that we can't give thanks today? No, congregation. No, it does not mean that. It's true, the Lord has supplied for our material needs in such an overabundant way this past few occasions. Has that wealth helped us in the service of the Lord or hindered us? It's a question each one of us needs to answer for ourselves. And we may need to dare to conclude that the wealth of God has given, the wealth God has given has actually even counseled us, a conclusion that will require us to repent. And Paul also had a small thanksgiving. At the same, at the same, we need today to thank God for every service given. For whatever faith there is in our midst, whatever holiness, whatever godliness in our walk and life, through it all, so covered with sin, so weak, so little, and even so worldly, it's God's work at grace in our hearts. Our eyes is to remain on Him. His work is in our hearts. And that prompts to, that prompts to unending thankfulness. As long as our eye is fixed on Him, the small beginning of the obedience that we have will slowly grow to that so that we can become more mature in God's service. 
After all, God who has called us to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, 